Pleasure to have you at uh, Conversational with Iris. Uh, Millie Graham Wood is solicitor at Privacy International, and the topic of today's conversation is about the use of digital borders and digital technologies to uh, govern migrants and non citizens in the UK. Um, Hi, thank you very much for having me. A topic I love talking about. Um, obviously very scary what we're seeing on the horizon so what do you see as the main issue that we need to pay attention to in relation to the use of uh, digital technology in relation to migration there are sort of different um intersecting issues for us is that um first of all with the use of new technologies uh, there's a lack of understanding uh, amongst say migrant organizations and that's where we hope to help with our expertise because if you can't understand what the technology is doing you don't necessarily see all the risks. Um, so, for example, a lot of uh, technologies that are being brought in, it's not just the use of them, but um, the sort of data that's generated and an assumption that that is reliable. Mm. And that's not always the case. So if decisions are being made on the base of um, data that's generated by things that you don't understand how it works, and no one knows to question that, then that's gonna be hugely problematic. Anything that comes from um, a digital device or, or is generated by a automated decision-making or that kind of thing is it, it needs to be interrogated. Well, then you open up a whole different conversation, like who has those skills, who can afford to do that in the context of migration. So I guess that's the danger is that we're not necessarily... Are there ways, I mean, if we're thinking about all this uh, use of technologies in relation to migration, is there a way of somehow categorize them or to think of them? I mean, what are the main sort of challenges or aspects in the life of immigrants where they may come across some of these uh, te technologies? Well, one of the ways that we've looked at it in a recent report on the different tech that's being used is, say, front-end and back-end technologies. So if you think about it, um, the back end is, is what you don't necessarily see. So the processing of data, the different databases that are used, the different databases that um, might work together. Um, if you think about the, the home office's desire for data from all sorts of different government departments, all of that kind of thing going on in the background, how that's processed, what software is processing that. Uh, and then on the front end, I guess is more, um, visible things like mobile phone extraction, um, the taking of biometrics, uh, the use of satellites and drones. Um, the Aspen card is something we've talked about a bit as well. Um, facial recognition, I guess you could go into use of um, CCTV um, and all those more visible things that that are easier to comprehend the risks that they may present than perhaps the back end stuff that's a bit more technical. Yeah, I mean, in, um, a few years ago, I was doing some research on uh, access to maternity services for undocumented migrant women and, and the impact on their children. And one of the things that was coming up a lot was the, the extent to which people were fearing the connection between you know, the, the maternity services and the home office, both in terms, you know, people can get charged, but also the fact of being on record, they had uh, used the services. So it's actually this idea of joining uh, data, databases with the NHS at the home office is something that has sort of a real life 
implication also you know in spheres like maternities and uh, access to school for example etc exactly and there's um there's a and a sort of over the last couple of years or, or longer really the police have been creating a new database um called the law enforcement database system or or program leds um and and that's going to if it if it comes in it's going to create a huge change in terms of access to immigration data and with all these things it's you create or or attempt to create this huge new database and not only is it the data that's on there it's who can access it and that they are now able to access information that they previously weren't able to either from a mobile device say a stop on the on the street um or back in the office and opening it up as well to say immigration officers gives them access to to data they never used to have before um and even though there may be access controls it, it the breadth of of individual who can access it is is huge and is very worrying in terms of of the change that is happening at say at the back end it looks like the, I mean, one of the sort of the side effects of the, the COVID pandemic has been very much a period of experimentation with the, the potential of some of these technologies, you know, the really about uh, the, the mapping of the movements of people, uh, checking where they are, or checking where they go, and all this sort of real time kind of checks. And, and in, having worked with uh, people with precarious legal status, this has also become a, a reason of concerns or of anxieties because obviously then there is no reassurance that those information which are collected for public health uh, reason are not used then by the home office for immigration control and what what do we have what do we know in terms of reassurance about how these data are used i mean what is that that uh, where we, is there a charter or uh... um i i'm not sure that that's one of the problems is um is that almost at the time that a lot of these projects are conceived the impact on migrants um is not necessarily given the in-depth um thought that it should be so we, we you know as 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 privacy um focused individuals we often think about the impact assessments that should be done when these things are proposed and they're really never done in much detail so a privacy impact assessment um equality impact assessment human rights impact assessment and when we we read them the individuals completing them or government departments completing them don't seem to understand the different implications of a different impact assessment and then one of the things that really isn't thought about a lot is is the security of this information whether it be between different government departments or from other state or non-state actors then it's not it's not just how the how the home office is trying to take it and and it's being shared say by uh, the department of health or um, department of education it's also how secure is that sharing from a government who will be interested in the movements of an individual in the uk or information about them um, so i so i don't think the security of information in and of itself or from other government departments um, is necessarily given enough thought in terms of government sharing i don't think it's necessarily given um much thought from the perspective of of what impact does that have on the migrant mm. in their own well-being if their information is being shared between different government departments and the fear that that has on an on an individual like how it impacts on their 
ability to integrate within society if they have this constant fear that everything they're doing is being monitored and shared and decisions are being made about them based on it. Uh, I was thinking, when well, you were mentioning the technologies like uh, facial recognition, for example, so these are more like uh, the front-end one of, in, yeah. in your typology. Yeah. Um, are there risks with those, uh, specific risks for this kind of technologies more linked to the front-end? Um, there are all sorts of risks. I mean, there, there are ones that in terms of, of how we feel as a society with them, but also particularly them being used against, against migrants in terms of experimenting with different technology when there's... I guess in, in terms of what the government will presume there's less likely to be resistance if it's used on the migrant population to being used on the general population. So, so a perfect testing ground for technologies that they're not really sure whether they would be acceptable or whether they want to see how they work. Um, and that can be, I mean, we've seen facial recognition used more broadly, to be honest, in the population. Um, and uh, I think in new plans in relation to border controls, it we'll see it used more and more. Um, the concern with that is the, the pervasiveness of it um, and how it will be used, whether it will be used against um, lists of individuals or whether it will be then used to track people. It, it, that's the trouble with something like facial recognition. There's so many different permutations of it. You, you need the detail of, of how they intend to use it um, to then be able to see the problems that arise from it. Uh, other other things we see is social media monitoring. So, um, in fact, in the US, I think uh, I, I'm not sure whether it's still the case. Um, you're you're asked to share your social media handle, mm. um, and then there was a lot of stuff about um, how searches would be conducted on you, and that would be stored in your immigration files and used in decision making. So, this is just a whole different level of uh, surveillance of an individual and how their activities online, whether that's via Instagram or Reddit or Facebook. And, and if you don't know how to keep your profiles protected, then decisions are being made on things you might just say without thinking online. Um, and then there's other things to do with um, device extraction. So taking data from mobile phones, um, which we're seeing in the new police crime sentencing and courts bill. And then, um, as was publicized today, the new GPS tracking um, mm. on migration bail. Um, so, which there that already exists within uh, criminal bail, but it's, it's much more constrained in how it's used. Whereas it seems for migrants, it's, it's more of a free for all. Mm. And there's a worrying uh, aspect where it can be used uh, to make decisions on their, on their cases. I don't know if this is an area where you've done more specifically, but are there risks related to racial profiling uh, linked to the use of these technologies? Because I know that in the US there's been research on the algorithm, et cetera. I think arguments to be made around how the technology um, is, is created in a sense of, of who's programming it, who's writing the software, um, and what's their, you know, either conscious or unconscious bias in doing it, what training data set are they mm. using? Um, and the implications that then has if you're thinking about automated decision making mm. um, for the decisions that are made, which have huge impact on individuals' lives. Um, because it's easy to, because it's also easy to blame the technology, but then you have to look, well, who created that? What was, what was the reasoning behind it? And, and that's why you need to be able to sort of look into the black box and, and understand what's going on in there. And that's a, that's a big argument is like, how is this algorithm working mm. and why is it making this decision? But then you go back to the, 
to the basic point of an individual who's been, say, refused asylum or had a negative decision, how are they, how are they even meant to start doing that if they don't have legal representation, if they don't have any money? It's, it's, it's sort of one thing in theory, another in practice. Sure. Uh, I mean, think that's what, uh, to some of the debate, for example, on the use of drone for military purposes, you know, this idea of the accountability. You know, in case of uh, uh, a machine error, or a technology error. What, what are the um, currently? I mean, the way to have a recourse or to to make them mistakes accountable or monitoring or appealing is there? A, are the system in place? Um, I think the um, the legal system is is probably slowly playing catch up, mm. um, and and certainly the legislation is is. Is not necessary there in many places in relation to technology. Um, I guess a lot of a lot of laws could still be used if you were seeking to challenge um, an error, but um, it's kind of hard without examples to sort of think it through. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think there there there's a a vacuum that in in probably the sort of case law in this area and the legislation to deal with with errors and whether there's a willingness to even address that. Um, in current or future governments. Uh, just uh, maybe to conclude, going back to a point you made at the very beginning, uh, it was about the fact that um, migrant community or support groups, they may sort of still have a, a not really understand how those technologies work. And I was wondering, you know, what can be done? I mean, if you think in terms of like what needs to be changed, how we can ensure that there is, and going back also to the point about accountability, how, you know, that's, uh, uh, we can respond to these changes from the perspective of the advocates and yeah. supporters of migrants. Well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people do have a, a, a good awareness understanding, but if they if there are organisations that don't, that's what Privacy International is is here, and that's what we want to help and work with organisations on is to increase the understanding of the use of technology, its technologies themselves, and the ones that are deployed, so that migrant organizations themselves can look out for uh, what needs to be challenged to ensure that they're able to protect the individuals and support the individuals that they see that that we don't um, you know have day-to-day -day interaction with um, for example on the gps tracking um, uh, or mobile phone extraction used by immigration officers you know we we're happy to sit there and go through the technical aspects of it and explain and see if in when decisions are then made lawyers who are representing these individuals or the migrant organizations know what to look out for um, mm. because you know it takes all of us working together to to try and support these individuals and organizations um, mm. to make sure that the technology used or the decision making that results from it is is accountable and mm. there's a level of transparency too because so much is changing all the time just a um, final point to, from your experience are there groups of migrants that are more vulnerable to these changes or they seem to be from the, your experience or the cases you have encountered i'd say when when it involves the use of certain um decision making or different technologies then most whether whether you're someone who is um treated favorably by the government or not it, it may affect you anyway because it will be uh, imposed to make certain decisions and, and who knows what the impact of it will be. They're quite democratically they're being dangerous. 
yeah, I mean, certainly it has implications for society if we think more broadly, if this was used against us, how would we feel? And mm. rather than just thinking it's used against certain communities that people may or may not um, want to support, if you, if you want to put it that uh, way. And also the fact that, you know, the using the migrants as a sort of guinea pigs is, is actually an important aspect to, to in a sense, to bear in mind, you know, this sense of why people should also pay attention to these things yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah. Not just for a kind of altruistic reason, but also more <laughs> selfishly. Maybe, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, thanks a lot for, for your time. And um, um, I, I, then I'll, I'll edit a bit. But um, it's been great to have you here on a conversation with Iris. And uh, oh, I, I think it, you opened a very important and interesting areas that uh, I think not many people in migration studies pay enough attention to. Mm -hmm.